second down. 3-2. Ground ball. Slide at short by Bichette. Off-balance throw to first. In time! What a play! Bo Bichette takes a hit away from Adley Rutschman. That's a crucial second out in the bottom of the ninth. Plenty of showmen on the call last night. Very, very happy to kick off the final hour with uh, Dan. And this insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Dan Shulman, Blue Jays, play-by-play announcer for us here at Sportsnet. Joining us now, Dan, always love getting you on. Thanks so much for jumping on for us. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I think I like Ben's call better. He, we, were, we were talking about it. He nailed it. He did not hold back. Middle, middle. And it was, yeah. You serve yeah. up a meatball uh, to a uh, to a three or four hitter. Generally speaking, it could end up that way. Uh, that that felt cathartic, uh, quite, quite honestly. You know, they would have taken a win any way it comes, but a big blast and your bullpen looks great. Uh, just yeah. such a much needed win from that team last night. You know, it's funny, and, and, and I think we've all talked about it, and probably rightly so, there are there's always a handful of games where a fan base can say, oh, they should have won that game. They should have won that game. Last night was one of those that earlier this season, last year, the year before, they don't win that game. So that was that was one where maybe you could have said, wow, they're like not that they were lucky to win it. They just they made plays to win um, a very close, tense game. That play by Bichette, <laughs> excuse me, Meza getting out of the situation that he was in by making great pitches in the bottom of the ninth, Romano looked great in the 10th, you know, and then obviously, I mean, Brandon Bell, you know, what can you say about the hit that he got in the top of the 10th? That was an important, every win is important because, um, and I'm always, and it's a huge fault of mine. I look ahead too much instead of living in the moment. I keep looking at Houston's schedule and Seattle's schedule. Their schedules are easier than the Blue Jays the rest of the way for the most part. Um, every win counts. Like to me, it, it doesn't matter that it's Baltimore. They're not catching Baltimore. It's about, catching Houston or Seattle, and they've got to win every game they can to try to make the playoffs. Glad you mentioned it, because I've been kind of trying to toot that horn for a bit of saying every game counts, even the ones in June and May and what have you, because they mm-hmm. add up and get you to where we are right now, which is they're a game out of a wild card spot, and that's not a bad thing. They've been actually really good, and the, the win total, the projected win total for that final wild card spot is absurd compared to years past. Last year it was 86 or 85, and now we're looking at it's going to be 90, 90 plus possibly, so there's a lot there. Dan, one of the guys that's kind of turned it around a little bit at the plate recently is Dalton Varsho, and I wanted to ask you about him because, you know, look, it's, I mean, objectively, he's had a really tough first season with the Blue Jays in a lot of ways, as good as he's been defensively. But to see, to have that bat sort of look more competent at the plate as of late, what's, what's changed in terms of his approach, mechanics, anything? What's allowed him to right. sort of have this success as of late that we've seen? So we're going to do something on it tonight. It's funny because I went to him yesterday. He's, he's put a toe tap in, um, and it was 21 games ago. And if you go back and look at his game logs, his numbers got better 21 games ago. Like, and, and I can go back and look at pitches 22 games ago, no toe tap. 21 games ago, uh, a toe tap. Um, so I went to talk to him about it yesterday. He was involved in a, in a card game in the clubhouse, so I waited. <laughs> and then... And then he said, okay, I'm good now, but this is when John Schneider was meeting with the media. So I said, I can't do it now. I'll find you outside. And then I went outside, and then they were already stretching and going to the outfield, and we were, you know, we were, uh, we kept missing each other. So I'm going to grab him today 100%, and I'm going to say, why did you put it in? Have you ever put it in before? Um, you, you know, why does it allow you to see the ball better, or whatever the case is? So we'll have more on it tonight. But I think it has something to do with that. And, and, it's really, obviously, they're looking for offense wherever they can find it. Um, 
and and whether he's hitting sixth or seventh, whatever it is, you know, somewhere down towards the bottom of the order, it just lengthens out the lineup. He hit 27 home runs last year. Uh, he only hit 235, but he hit 27 home runs. He's got power, and I think when he contributes, you know, Belt's been contributing for a while now. Kiermaier's been steady. Jansen's been steady. Like there are signs. Springer's been hot lately. Obviously, you'd love to get Vladdy going, and you'd love to get Chapman going, and you'd love to get Kirk going. But uh, everybody else is kind of pulling their weight right now. Um, the, the last three guys I mentioned are probably capable of more than they're doing right now. But for Varsho, it's big because by his own admission, he's been a streaky guy in his career. So nice little, you know, nice little hot streak from now until October the 4th would be much appreciated by this team. Yeah, if he wants to continue it beyond then, I'm sure we would we would settle yeah. for that. But let's not get too, too greedy here. It is remarkable. You know, we always talk about guys making adjustments, but I don't know that it is that clean of a line where you can just, and, it, you know, there's always a clean line to when the adjustment starts. It's just normally it takes a little while for the success uh, to follow it. I don't know if this will quite be Batista adding the leg kick, but uh, even if it's just, uh, you know, like 118th of that, we would uh, gladly sign up for it and the homer he hits in the second inning of that game last night you know I know we sometimes can get a little overstated with the narrative stuff of it but as games have gone on where this team has not scored it seems to me that they do press a little it would only be natural that you're deeper and deeper into the ball game the pitching is only going to get scarier and scarier and you've not been able to make it happen so just the fact that those were able to score early and then Varsho answering it just felt like it not only for himself obviously it takes a little pressure off of him but it just allowed the team to kind of breathe a little easier in that one I feel like the the time that homer came again obviously much like wins you'll take them at any point in time but the timing of that homer felt like was huge for the way the game kind of played out last night I agree with that a thousand percent I, I think when they get the hit if they fall behind early and they've fallen behind a lot it, it's it's odd because you look at the names at the top of their batting order and they're all good names and then you look at the starting pitching and the starting pitching is obviously terrific but the, as a team they've been dismal in the first inning they're like they've given up like 27 more runs than they've scored in the first inning or something like that and the first inning is like their eighth best inning in terms of runs scored which is crazy because you've always got your top of the order guys coming up obviously um in the first inning it's not supposed to be that way and i'm with you if it gets to the fifth the sixth the seventh and it's still two to one or three to two or one to nothing or whatever it is how many times have we seen a game like that and that to me is something that has been a little bit different recently and that var show hit just relaxes the whole dugout um, I, I believe now they scored two runs on the homer they only scored one more run until it got to the 10th inning and then they uh, erupted for three but you know at this point i don't think we should expect them to be the 21 blue jays offensively um, if they can just be you know good solid decent you know four four or five runs a game they don't have to score eight four or five runs a game they're going to win more than they're going to lose with the with the depth of their pitching staff so yeah, getting that big hit early, I'm sure, relaxes everybody in that dugout. Timely hitting. We talked about it early in the show, Gunner and I, and we've been saying it. It's not about how many, or it's about when they come. Like, that's the big thing. It's when you're in those positions, that's why it's been such a big deal. They've struggled with runners in scoring position because they haven't been able to cash on opportunities. But last night, where a game, and you pointed it out, Dan, like rightly, it felt like that's a game that maybe in the past they lose. And instead, here they are, the offense goes cold, but yet in a big spot they come around and they deliver and, and put some runs on the board to finish off a ball game. One of the big elements to all of that was the bullpen and has been the bullpen all year long for them. But it felt like when they when the Orioles started to run out of those high-leverage 
arms at the back end of the pen, the Jays just had more and more. How important is it to have that flexibility the way Toronto currently has? Even we saw, look, Jordan Hicks, how he was deployed last night, having that flexibility. Yeah. It's It seems like it's such a huge advantage for them. Enormous. Like If they had this bullpen in 2021, I think they win the World Series. Like This bullpen is a, in my opinion, World Series caliber bullpen. In 21, they had a World Series caliber offense. They, they just haven't had the two um, at the same time. We both thought, uh, Joe and I both thought Hicks was coming out for a second inning um, because he got the out so fast. They ended up using a lot of guys, but you can't argue with the results. Um, obviously, Jimmy Garcia gave up the one big hit that tied the game. But then Richards, Hicks, Swanson, Mesa, and Romano, five innings, one hit, no runs. And the one hit, if you may, if you may remember, was off of Mesa, the first batter he faced, who hit like a rug burner up the middle, like right over the mound. I don't even know if it got through to the outfield. I can't remember. It was, it was a, you know, just yeah, a, a leader. Yeah, trapped base it behind, behind second there. Yeah, yeah, that's right, behind second base, right. So, like, nothing. They gave up nothing last night and um let me throw a little runners in scoring position thing at you because yeah. we we have all talked ad nauseum about the offense and all that stuff it's funny and i'm going to mention it tonight we never talk about how a pitching staff does when the other team has runners in scoring position and it's an easy search and the blue jays are number one in baseball in how their pitchers do with runners in scoring position and and Mesa was an example last night um he got out of a jam like a jam that wasn't his fault really and there was a good defensive play behind it but then he made a great pitch was it gunner henderson i think he jammed yeah, yeah it was gunner yeah. henderson he jammed um with merrifield made a nice play um you say kikuchi is second in the majors in left on base percentage now some would say eh, that's that's you know that's a tightrope that's uh <laughs> that's walking a fine line but he's been getting outs when he needs to get out so um, yeah, their pitchers have done an incredible job getting out of jams. And right now, it, it, again, it's the enormous if. If this team can make the playoffs, John Schneider and Pete Walker, with the off days, you get a few more off days in the playoffs, you're going to have a pretty rested bullpen, um, you know, most of the time. And I know last night they used a bunch of guys. And I, it always worries me when they use so many guys. Like, what worries me is tomorrow. If they need three more of those guys tonight, those three guys aren't going to be available tomorrow because they don't throw guys three days in a row very often. But, you know, one night it can be Mesa to Swanson to Romano, and then the next night it can be Cabrera to Hicks to Romano, and Richards being back is huge, and Chad Green may be on the way. Um, it, it's it's a terrific bullpen, and it's the kind of bullpen that allows you to win games like last night's game. You, you you're a great guy to ask about this. This next thing I have to ask you about, just because you've been and you've called so many big games and you've done it before the pitch clock, and now with the implementation of it, and specifically the Mesa Mateo at bat last night, that just felt like a bottom of the ninth playoff game at bat. You got him trying to get the bunt down. He can't. Then right. all of a sudden the count's now full. Maybe Mateo feels a little better. And the thing that jumped out to me, it didn't really jump out to me in, in the moment until I reflected on it this morning was how I did not feel in for one second that that moment was rushed. So much of the conversations we had about the pitch clock was, ah, oh, you're going to lose that feel late in the game where the guy's sitting there and staring down the hitter. And I was feeling that a little bit myself before the pitch clock. I was worried about it. But in that moment last night, it just felt like the game was moving along at a great clip, but it didn't feel rushed. It still felt like those moments had a chance to breathe. You and Joe were able to do a great job kind of breaking down how Mesa doesn't use a slider the way a lefty reliever typically would. Do you, have you kind of noticed that as well, that these moments that we were maybe worried about feeling rushed just haven't felt so even with the pitch clock? 
Yeah, I've never felt it once, to be honest with you. I, I mean, there are some innings that go incredibly quickly, but right. the but the high tension men on base late in the game, those don't feel rushed to me. I mean, a hitter can still call a timeout per at bat. And if there are men on base, a pitcher can still disengage. He can just step off the rubber if he wants. It just mm-hmm. counts as one of his two allotted disengagements before you worry about the Bach and all that. So, no, I agree with you. I, I have not felt rushed at all. And, and I think even for every time maybe I might feel something is rushed, honestly, there would be a, a hundred times last year where it's like, come on, guys, throw the ball. And, <laughs> and now that may be cranky old man talking, but... Um, You're talking I, to the right guy for that, so... Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's great. I, I think you know, we'll a game now will be like two fifty eight and we'll get out of there and say, Boy, that felt like a long one and then we'll laugh because that would have been a fast one yep. last year, you know, like yep. um I think it's great. I think the players and the umpires by and large have done a really, really good job. Like, you know, once a week you might have a, a situation or a little confusion or no, that shouldn't have been that way, but it's nothing. And and now, listen, we don't want a playoff series to end on a timing violation. That we know for sure. Uh, hopefully that never happens. But I think uh, I think the shift rule has worked, and I think the pitch clock has worked. I think both of them have had the intended result. And even the bigger bases. Bigger bases have worked, too. It's actually increased yeah. the activity on the base paths. It's actually been yeah. really interesting. Look at the stolen base numbers. It's increased uh, a lot of the action, and that was what it was intended to do. Mm-hmm. Um I, I mean, I'd whole, I wholly agree with the whole the whole uh, pitch clock thing. It didn't take away the suspense is still there. It hasn't it hasn't eliminated any of the suspense from some of these moments. And then yes, there have been at times where you're like, okay, the game went a little quick or this inning was super fast. But beyond that, it's just negligible in terms of the impact that it's had, and it hasn't affected those big moments. One of the things I uh, I did want to also bring uh, and highlight with you, Dan, was um, you say Kikuchi, and obviously last night a bit of a shorter outing, but he's been a, such a revelation. And I wonder, you know, I think part of the decision to even remove him at that point in the game is that you have such a great bullpen behind him that you're you're confident in the guys that are coming out there. But what did you make of his outing last night? Um, not as good as his previous five. His command just wasn't quite as sharp, not in terms of walking people. He only walked one. But what turned out to be his final inning, the fifth inning, and Joe and I talked about it a lot, he's facing, I think it was the number nine and the number one hitters, and both times got to two strikes. Uh, one was 0-2, one was 1-2. and two, And that's when he typically buries the slider down and in and gets a swing and a miss. And he missed both times. The pitches were down both times, a couple of inches below the zone. But they were middle down. They weren't down and in. And both times, um, so it would have been Mateo and Rutschman came up with base hits. He was just a little bit off with his command last night. Um, but he's been great. I mean, before last night, he literally had the best numbers of any starting pitcher in baseball since the All-Star break. Now, that's a six-start span. That's not a huge long time, but the fact that we're even having this conversation, you know, considering where he was last year, like last year at this time, he's in the bullpen, uh, and they're trying to sort stuff out. He's been really good and very reliable, and two things that he did a lot of last year are not happening now. He's not walking, guys. He has walked... I think it's six in his last six starts, I believe. And I can say this now, the start is over. I'm not worried about the Jinx Patrol coming to get me on Twitter or anything like that. <laughs> he, he hasn't given up a home run in his last seven starts. Think about that. And like, how many times do we remember last year, like walk and a rocket, and it's two to nothing before you blink, right? And he has not given up a home run in his last seven starts. He's just not missing middle-middle. 
He's not falling behind and then grooving one. He's just a different guy um, than he was last year. And I think you guys would agree with me. If, if, if they get into the playoffs and if he was chosen as one of the starting pitchers, everybody, I think everybody would be okay with that. I, I don't think you would really have a problem. And, and last night I don't think was a uh, we don't trust you quick hook. I think last night, like you said, was he didn't quite have it. And they had a day off before, so the bullpen was deep and rested. Let, let's roll the, you know, let's roll the arms in from the bullpen and get the favorable matchup. So I, I think they look at him much differently, and I think everybody should look at him much differently than we did a year ago. Yeah, the way the way I look at it with Kikuchi is, if I would have gone up to you or anyone else who follows or cares about this team at the beginning of the season, and I would have told you this is what you're going to get from you, say Kikuchi, night in or every fifth day when he gets the ball, you would have said, okay. You know what? All things considered, given the way last year went, I will take that. And that has been oh, the yeah. floor that we've seen from him this year. So it is uh, night and day doesn't even begin to do it justice. And I'll go a step further than having a problem with it. He is one of my three right now. I, I you know, I understand matchups can maybe dictate if Bassett is a better fit, but just the way he has pitched, the way he has performed, he is there with Gosman and Barrios for me in my wildcard rotation for sure. Yeah, let, let's put it this way. If on October the 5th or 6th or whatever the date is, we're having a conversation about after Gosman, which two should the other guys be in a two out of three series? Everything's that's a good conversation to have. That that is the problem the Blue Jays are hoping to have a tough choice in terms of who their starting pitchers are for a playoff series. But again, they they got to get there. You know, they got to get there first, and they're going to have to they're going to have to pass somebody to get there. But um, you know, we were, Joe and I were talking after the game last night. They have their team now, right? Like there's been a lot of tinkering and around the edges and a couple of acquisitions. And, you know, Manoa's not here now. Ryu is back. Who's the 26th man? For the most part, they have their team. And this is it. It, it, As John Schneider said yesterday before the game, it's go time now. So um, we know what they are. I just hope they have left themselves enough time and can win enough games that they can overtake one of those teams out of the AL West. It, It, certainly feels like as much as at times it's been a bit of a frustrating season, like a lot of could have done more, should have done more, that sort of thing. It it still feels like they're one of the six best teams um, in the American league and should be there at the end. And, and, you know, hopefully they'll play well over the last six weeks and, uh, and extend the season a little bit because there's a lot of talent on this team. They, I, I think they're, uh, I was talking to Ben McDonald, the former first overall pick. He's one of the Orioles announcers and like, He's one of a number of guys, like announcers for other teams, who are like, "Man, if you guys get in, that's how that's this is the team that people are looking at and saying, like, look at that pitching staff. If you can find a way to get in, look out." And and but you know, so like Canada basketball, (laughs) you got to get there first. Like if they get to the Olympics, I think they'll do great. But they got to figure out a way to get there. Sometimes getting in is tougher than doing well once you're there. No, 100. percent And it's uh, and in baseball especially, you just never know when you get to the postseason because we've seen it year yeah. over year. There's always one of those surprise teams that ends up making somewhat of a run, going deep, getting to a World Series, whatever the case may be. And I did think it was. I thought for sure yesterday, hearing that quote from John Schneider, I was like, that's a not so subtle message to be like, all right. You know what? All the off days are behind us, all this stuff. Now it's the time to sprint. We got to wake up and go because it has been at times a confounding season. Like they've, they're, they're 14 games over 500 and yet, yet they're, it's, it almost, uh, it's been frustrating in terms of how they've gotten there, given the way the offense has performed and, and, and the inconsistencies that they've shown. It's been interesting before, before I had to get this in before we let you go, Dan, 
I was stunned that Joe had no earthly idea what the immaculate grid, immaculate grid was. <laughs> I was so surprised by that. And and then Ivanka Osmak tweets at you guys during the game and, re, and and also co-signed it. And I was just like, I cannot believe this. This is the hottest thing in the streets all summer long. I was surprised. Right. So, yeah. So Joe is like marginally aware of it because we had talked about it the night before. <laughs> like he knew about it, but didn't know how to find it online and it never played. <laughs> You know, and even as people are saying to him, hey, Joe, you're my go-to guy for, like, uh, Nats Tigers because Nats is Expos. And, and Joe's looking at us like, what are you talking about? You know, so, but, um, it, it, you know, the funny thing, I had no intention of talking about that on the air. But for some reason, like, I walked by Trevor. I told the story. You guys heard it. I walked by Trevor Richards. And I said, hey, Trevor, you're my go-to guy for Rays and Marlins. And then he told me he plays a European soccer uh, immaculate yeah. grid and on from there. So, um, I, I, uh, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing at nine o'clock. Like I don't have to set an alarm. I do it right <laughs> at nine o'clock. And then, uh, my son, Ben and I, we have an agreement, like, cause once like six weeks ago, he just sent me his completed one before I had finished Disgusting. mine. And I was like, how dare that's he? Not, that's not cool. Also so, bad job by yeah. you. Better parenting. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now we have a deal, you know, are you done? I'm not done. You know, that kind of stuff. But Joe, um, yeah, Joe is not going to play it, I think. I think he finds it funny um, and because the night before, five of us had gone out for a beer or something, and like I said on the air, Mike Sparks, Sparky, who's on our crew, he's from Strathroy, grew up in southwestern Ontario. Dad was Dad's a big Tiger fan. He's a big Tiger fan. And literally, we're getting into a conversation about John Wackenfuss and Dan Schatzett or over beers, and <laughs> Siddle's looking at us like we're insane, you know, so, um, which maybe we are, you know, like I'm glad I have, four insane friends who look at the world the same way that I do. Otherwise it would be lonely, but um, you know, it's a, it's a great game. I don't know if it'll be as popular in a year. Like after a while, have you memorized your pirate A's crossover mm. guide? So it's, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, but right now it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I enjoy it. So uh, yeah, don't call me between nine and nine 15. I'll be busy. I've got, I've got a foot in both camps. I have no desire to do it myself, but in a setting, like you said, where it's four guys sitting around having a beer, yeah. I love playing the game with friends, but yeah. myself, I open the hockey one every day. Think about it for literally 45 seconds and then close it. Cause I'm going, I can't do this to myself. So that's where I'm at. Uh, not that you care, but you do now know, uh, Dan love getting you on. Enjoy the call uh, for the next couple days in, uh, in Baltimore there. All right, guys. Thanks. Good chatting with you. Awesome chatting with him. Uh, there he goes. Dan Schulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer, Sportsnet. Uh, that Insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Oh, great. You can tell how comfortable I am in this chair now that I'm just calling him out for his parenting. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're you're, <laughs> you're suggesting hey. that there's some bad parenting. No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting. I'm just saying, like, I am one now. It's like when my little guy does something, I got to look in the mirror like, and go. That's a reflection well, of not, me. Not necessarily. It's just a question <laughs> that needs to be asked. That's all. Uh, love, Shulman. And like you said, uh, I can only, you know, I don't, I know, I'm sure they both, like, don't have a problem acknowledging it, but they don't want to talk about it all the time. Yeah, of but, course. What a moment uh, for that family. Like, I am a, I am a sucker for mm -hmm. father-son moments. The U.S. Open gets me every year. I'm just sitting there in a puddle of by the time it's all done. Uh, so anything with that uh, brings a – just uh, just uh, just love, warms my and, heart. Oh, and I love Ben taking, as I said earlier, taking liberties with the calls. It was great. Editorializing a little bit. That's fantastic. Of course. Get comfortable. Love it. Get, get comfortable. Yeah. Stretching those legs a little bit. And Shulman getting ready for FIBA. Just oh, dip oh, the no, toe no. in he's, there. He's, he's double-dipping this oh, week. I know. I know. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, so oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's ready. ready. Yeah, a lot of prep.
Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it'll be exciting. Not that, between nine and nine fifteen, but no. otherwise there's prep to be done. Yeah, otherwise I'm sure he knows everybody on the Dominican Republic roster that we would never know about or La- or Latvia or whoever. Sal Horford's still there. That's the question. I don't, I don't believe think so. I My guess is read, no. I actually looked at this yesterday. Oh, I did look out. at the roster. He's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did I. Yes, there are a couple NBAers, but not Al Carl Horford. Anthony Towns. Towns, Lester Quinones is on there. Uh, I think there's a Gene Montero who was a draft pick. Here's the real question. Yeah. It, does Bebe Noguera play for Brazil oh. still? That's the true question. That's a, that should be a trivia question. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> I would, I'm not going to lie. Does if Bruno I, play for If I still? turn on the FIBA World Cup and I say Bebe Noguera with that fro of his uh, <laughs> leaping around, I, I'd make me happy. I'd, I'd just like to see it. I don't know. Maybe he's 37 right now. I have no idea. If you told me he was 20, if you told me he's 31 or 41, I would believe either of those answers. Uh, these are all great questions for Aaron Rose. Actually, I won't ask him about Bebe Noguera. That would be rude. Oh, he's no younger than you think, that. Gunner. How old is Bebe Noguera? Is he 27? No, he's a little okay. slightly older. 29. He's 31. 31, that's okay. That's not bad. That's, that's a little younger than I yeah, thought. So Get him I. out there, Brazilian national team. What are you doing? Little rim rubber, rim rubber, a uh, little FIBA rim protection there. Love it, love it. Uh, the tournament does start up on Friday. We'll have the game for you on Sportsnet. Sam McKee and I will do our best not to be distracted during the second half of the golf show because uh, it tips off at 930, right? Smack dab in the middle of that show. I can't wait for this tournament. I would love nothing more than to have I am the lack of international best on best for hockey makes me so much hungrier for it everywhere else. I would have been very excited for this, the qualification, but I'm just itching for best on best in anything. Of course, I'm crushed that Jamal Murray's not there, but there's still a ton to love about this team. I can't wait to watch SGA do his thing. Him having the car keys, that's kind of another element in and of itself. There's no sharing of that duty with Murray. It is now far and away oh, his yeah. team uh he's going to be unleashed so yeah i'm looking forward to it cannot wait 9 30 france on uh on friday there it 100%. is 100 percent. can't yep. wait aaron rose joins us next one segment left fan morning show on sportsnet 590 the fan everything raptors before and after the games the raptor show with will lou subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts we pumping Sandman's tires too much. Forgot to call the gas no, during the he's break. Okay. Well, he's okay. Well, yeah, Josh right, is you're, fine. I mean, I'm just, I'm just hanging out here. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the one pulling all the strings. I give Josh the pass, no matter what. I always got his back. Okay, he's there. All right, he's must, fine. Must be nice to have a coworker like you. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm one hey, of your coworkers. It's called so. being a good teammate. It is. You know, got to kick the tires. I always pump your tires, do you I do. not? You do. Yeah. You're, you're a big tire pumper. Exactly. And I uh, thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate it. So question for you before we ask Aaron Rosie's yes. questions. How much pumping of Canada's tires will we be doing at the FIBA World Cup? Like, what's your general well, confidence they, level heading into this? If they play well, I will pump their yeah, tires. Yeah. No, no, I'm not asking you okay? about if you're going to have the pom-poms no, no. regardless. What's my confidence yeah. level? It's not... It's not insanely high. Okay. It's reasonably high, but at the just because I the ro- the roster is very good. Even mm-hmm. without Jamal Murray, the roster is very good. That being said, there are still questions and I still think in a lot of ways and obviously we'll bring Aaron in in, in a second. It's I feel like this is almost a referendum point. Mm. Cuz it's a pivotal moment here for this current iteration that we've seen over the last three years of them trying to build up to this moment. Tough to for be... Coach Jordy to have his first game. Exactly, in right? Think about, well, no, but think about <laughs> it's not, and it's not his fault. No, no, no. Because the guy that, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, it, that's, that's not his decision that no. was made to hire Nick Nurse. 
I'm just saying, I think there are a lot of questions still <laughs> that need to be answered. But the good news is it can all be quelled away oh. if they win. Just go win. Win. Just win. Just mark it. Just win. Just baby. win, baby. That's it. Just win, baby. R.I.P. Al. Uh, Aaron Rose joining us now. Raptors reporter, Sports Illustrated. Aaron Rose, how confident are you about Canada's chances heading into the FIBA World Cup? And good morning. Good morning to you guys. I was just listening in on that conversation. I think I sort of agree. It's like it's make or break time. It's prove it. But I also feel like to use all the the cliches, like you got to you got to do it first. I, I, like it's mm-hmm. tough to buy into this team. Um, who time after time has had enough talent to compete with everyone else in the world to beat the Czech Republic's uh, Czech Republic a couple of years ago, but just for whatever reason, can't get it done. So like, I got to see it to believe it, uh, to throw another cliche at you guys. It, it's just, again, they have all the talent in the world, uh, whether it's just, you know, FIBA rules are different or just the chemistry that these guys don't have because the roster changes every few years. Um, but it's going to be tough for, for them, even if they do have on paper one of the more talented rosters in the tournament. Aaron, the, the Jamal Murray thing, the decision that he made to withdraw from, from the team and not participate in this tournament, it hurts a lot more because there's one thing that they've been preaching for three years now. And they have this three-pillar approach that they sort of unveiled when they hired Nick Nurse. And one of the things that was priority A1, it was the commitment. They talked endlessly about commitment and you need to be in, if you want to be involved, you got to participate, you got to be present, you got to be in, in, in all the in, just in, integral and integrated into the into the fabric of this program. It made it that much more disappointing for Jamal Murray not to be there because they've been just kind of pumping the tires of this model. And that's why I really do feel like it is sort of a swing point because you do not want to be in a position where they were a few years ago, which was in a last chance qualifying tournament. And if you slip up, then guess what? No Olympics for you. And we continue to squander what I would consider a really golden generation of Canadian basketball. Well, you're right about this commitment in the sense that they were preaching. All these guys are going to be here for three years leading up to the Olympics. And I just remember sitting there at OVO when they were talking about it. And then it's like, you know, you're, you're in this commitment as long as, of course, if you're injured, it's another thing. But as long as you don't have a contract there, as long as you're not injured, or as long as this thing, or as long as that thing. And it like all those excuses are fair. And, and of course, Jamal Murray's excuse is fair. He's coming off of injuries, coming off of an NBA championship. We totally get it. Um, and same with Nick Nurse, right? He was the guy sitting up there talking about commitments, and it sounds like it wasn't his decision to leave the team. But everyone has an excuse as to why they're not playing for Team Canada. And when you add up enough excuses, the commitment isn't much of a commitment. Um, and then the other part of it is that's why the roster keeps changing every few years, and that's why you don't get the consistency that you see these European teams or Australia or teams around the world where you sort of know year after year the same guys are going to show up. Now, at the same time, you look at this tournament and there's guys like Jokic, who's sort of in a similar boat to Murray. Uh, Giannis isn't in the tournament. Victor Wembanyama isn't in the tournament. So it's not like Canada's the only team dealing with having some of their best players not playing. And of course, the United States as well. Um, but it's certainly been a problem for Canada in the past. Yeah, I think the frustrating part is just, and maybe it's just because it's right in front of my face, Canada played Germany, Dennis Schroeder is on the Raptors, but Dennis Schroeder has some of those same excuses. And oh, look, there he is. He's playing for his country (laughs) in a game that they need to win or in a tournament that they need to do well. And it is just so frustrating. And I think that's the part is that if it was a one-off once in a while, we could say, okay, it is what it is. And nobody is sitting here killing Jamal Murray for it, but he is the, he's the guy kind of 
of wearing it now because of everything that's happened with Wiggins. And it's not just him, but countless other guys who haven't shown up at other points in time. It is so frustrating, and that is why you just need this team to come through it. Because once they're in the Olympics, guess what? everybody's going to show up. There is going to be no contract year talk. There is going to be, obviously, injuries are their own thing. And then I think once you finally reach that crescendo point, then there is the buy-in. Right now, it's been fake buy-in. It's like, hey, come help us buy into something real, and you're never getting to touch the tangible thing. If you're able to get to the Olympics, it just puts a kind of, if to, in my opinion, it puts a floor on the level of NBA players that you're going to see at this because you can tangibly touch it. And I don't just mean for the Olympic Games, but I honestly believe that would have a cascading effect beyond 2024. And I think on the other side of that commitment, I think Wiggins was one of the players who maybe, uh, I hope I'm not mistaken, uh, but did not sign that commitment for whatever reason. No, and then didn't. I was like, all right, it, so if he says I'm ready to play at the Olympics, you're not going to play Andrew Wiggins. You're going to play somebody who signed the contract, but is you know not as talented as him. So I was always confused about that because, you know, you're going to take your best players, whoever wants to show up to the Olympics. And I imagine, as you just mentioned, everyone's going to do everything they can, barring injury, to play at the Olympics. So if some guy signed a commitment, but some guy's better than him, they're going to take the better guy. Um, but And you mentioned buy-in from the players. I also think the fans need to see this team, as we just talked about, play well at this tournament, ideally win this tournament, at the very least qualify and not have to go to that last chance qualifier again. But then when the Olympics come around, people are paying attention to the Olympics in general. But that's when we can have the big conversation about Canada basketball, first time in over two decades. And now we can feel like, all right, we are a basketball country. Because, frankly, it's been a little embarrassing year after year after year. We talk about ourselves as one of the best basketball countries in the world, number two in NBA players. But when it comes to the biggest stages in the world, um, time and time again, Canada has failed to deliver um, for a variety of reasons. And one of them is this lack of commitment from players often understandable, sometimes less understandable, um, but but it, you certainly have to prove it eventually, and hopefully uh, they can do it at this tournament. Oh, I couldn't agree more. You have to validate it. It needs to be validated with some success at the international level. Meaningful, meaningful success. I will, I will, I will go a step further, and I, because I, I totally understand your sentiment about, hey, if you're telling me if Wiggins comes around all of a sudden and says, I would love to play in the Olympics, that they're not going to take him. You're probably right. They would take him, and I think they would take a lot of other guys that would share that same sentiment right now. It's like, oh, well, it's not good. It's, 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 it seems like these guys show up when it's convenient. My point is, if you drew, and I know it's hard to do, but this is why I really do think, you, you got to draw a hard and fast line and say, okay, well, you know what? You weren't here for this. You're not going to be on that Olympic team. I'm sorry, you're not. Because, A, you haven't shown any commitment to the program to consistently show up. And until you do so, and until you actually make an effort to be there, present, and and look, Jamal Murray, this is where I will give... The, it's, it, the United States does this all the time, where you have to show up for the camps. At least you have to be present every summer for the training camp. You don't have to play, but walking in the building, being there for a practice, whatever the case may be, show that is at least expressing your desire. Having buy-in. It's, yeah. it, you're showing the buy-in, exactly. And Canada has seemingly lacked that. Now they try to change that culture. But until we see it, it's hard to completely invest and believe. It's great that Shea is playing. It's great that Dylan Brooks is playing. It's great that Dwight Powell and Kelly Olynyk remain committed. But it's hard to – they get overshadowed because 
it's it's like, yeah, well, but there's always that but attached to the end of what we talk about with Canada basketball year after year after year. And eventually it gets frustrating and tiring. And that's why I think people are somewhat frustrated and, and want to see results before they buy in. Yeah, I, I hear what you have to say about, about guys like Wiggins, but at the same time, you know, if Andrew Wiggins, one of the best Canadians uh, in, in the world, is, is ready to play for your country, I think Canada basketball would have a really tough time saying, well, too bad you didn't sign the commitment. Uh, it's it sort of, that's why I've been skeptical of it. But I think Canada did try and do that. Everyone shows up at camp. If you show up at camp for the next three years, you will be on the Olympic team. I just sort of have always been skeptical that that's how it was actually going to play out. And I think we've seen that it hasn't quite played out exactly uh, like they said they, it would. Yeah, we've had Rowan Barrett on this show, and I put that question to him pretty point-blankly, and this will shock you guys. He Euro-stepped right around that one. There was a lot of herky-jerky motion, and I don't know that a, that a hard and fast answer was given. Actually, I know a hard and fast answer wasn't given. He hesied me. He shook me up. He, he evaded that question uh, very, very skillfully, and I imagine they will do so until they have to make a hard and fast decision. Uh, it's been very doom and gloomy. Let's talk about the positive. Let's say this goes super well, and whatever that means, Let's not say they're going to win the whole thing, no, but they do. Let's just say okay, they advance. Sure. They, they, they advance to the Olympics, whatever that means. And it is, it's SGA leading the way. He is truly the tip of the spear. He's Captain Canada. What do we think it can be as a coming out party for him? Because as much as we're all super excited about this tournament, until Canada is about to do something, it's not going to have this crossover appeal. You know, Shea could go have the game of his life at 9.30 a.m. against France. It's not going to move the needle in a big, big way. But if they're able to advance and he is seen as the guy doing it and it's the fact that Wiggins isn't there and Jamal Murray isn't there and it's not even Nick Nurse. I think a lot of people, again, we all know it's Jordy Fernandez, but we'll be surprised that, oh, it's not Nick Nurse coaching that team. How big of a leap in public perception or kind of, you know, Q rating, for lack of a better term, do you think SGA specifically or maybe somebody else can get from this tournament? Yeah, so I guess what I'm thinking about that is that Everyone already knows SGA. Like, if you're a basketball fan in Canada and certainly an NBA fan, this guy's one of the best players in the world. Like, where have you been if you don't know that he's, you know, first-team all-NBA kind of player? So I think it's when the Olympics roll around, hoping, knock on wood, Canada qualifies. That's when you'll – and he's on the team and he's showing out for Canada at the Olympics. That's when you'll get the people who are not basketball fans, who are just Canadians, who are tuning into the Olympics, who are – watching something and going, oh, my God, who's the Shea Gilgis-Alexander kid? Don't watch the NBA. I need to know more about him and the way he plays. You just talked about the herky-jerky Euro stuff. That's him. He's an incredibly talented and gifted player. But if you're a basketball – I don't know if a lot of non-basketball fans are watching this World Cup. I think non-basketball fans will be watching the Olympics, hoping Canada qualifies uh, for the Olympics. And I think that's when Canadians will have their eyes open to some of the talent that Canada is – producing when it comes to basketball but i think everyone in the basketball community knows some of these top star players we could see someone like Nikhil alexander walker have a coming out party and you'll see oh my god like this guy might have a chance to be like a real nba player because uh, he's sort of been more of a rotation fringe guy so far but there's some other guys on this roster uh lou dort was sort of the talk of the nba a few years when he shut down james harden and then he's had a couple um 
less exciting years, I guess, would be a way to put it. I think some of the shine has come off of him as a prospect. But if he's out there uh, playing sort of that tough FIBA-style basketball and shutting down some of the best players in the world on opposing teams, he could be another guy that we're talking about, the Dorcher Chamber again, one of the best <laughs> defenders in the world. Um, so when it comes to Shea, I think his Q rating is already really high in the basketball world. But certainly other guys on this team, uh, we could be thinking about a little bit differently in a couple of weeks from now. Lou Dort and Dylan Brooks, That's if this team gets to the Olympics, and I'm with you guys, that this is this maybe grabs in somebody who is, you know, they're they're a sports fan, but the NBA isn't their bag. Maybe they get dragged in by this. But the true crossover, I'm with you, comes in the Olympics. And Dylan Brooks and Lou Dort are ready to become just fan favorites for clapping in people's faces, looking like they're playing for Duke out there. Uh, just <laughs> super annoying, and I can't wait. Uh, Aaron, I'm sure you're going to enjoy the uh, tournament. Uh, get ready to watch it starting up in a couple of days on Sportsnet. Thanks for jumping on with us, man. Thanks for having me. There he goes. Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter, Sports Illustrated. Dylan Brooks was the name I, I've been circling this entire time. It's the redemption tour for Dylan Brooks. This guy went at LeBron. His <laughs> reputation was dragged through the mud. Some of it his own doing. Some of it the team that he was employed by. Just say, yeah, there is no chance in hell we are bringing him back. And this is... To see to have him suit up, he people forget that he's actually a competent basketball player yes. when he's at his best, and and not you know he just kind of shuts his mouth occasionally. But I, so I'm excited. I am really excited about Dylan Brooks, and I'm I'm glad he's a part of this Canadian team. There is a lot to like and a lot to be excited for. There's a ton of pressure. There should be because they've had these routine disappointments year after year, and every time it seems like one of these moments comes along, they have failed to capitalize on it. Jordy Fernandez, this being his first real international Amazing. tournament, is <laughs> wild. Talk about getting thrown right into the pressure cooker. This is this is crazy that he's going to have his first time patrolling the sidelines for Canada in a meaningful international event is going to be with the Olympics on the line in the World Cup. That's like it's it's there. I and I totally agree with what Aaron said about the crossover appeal. It's about the Olympics. That's yep. the marquee. Like that is the marquee. That's where it begins. And, and in terms of generating that real genuine interest and and appeal from people, from sports fans, even in general, people that aren't basketball hardos. But this is a big moment for this program, and I will continue to harp on. This is like one of those inflection points because of the, the way that everything they've shaped this since that failure, since they introduced Nick Nurse, shaping this program around a three-pronged approach of how they wanted to conduct their the, their business at the, at the with the senior national team at that level to try and mimic what other European and international teams do. It hasn't worked. It hasn't laid. It hasn't produced results yet. So this is it, because we do. You do not want to be in a position where you're fighting for a last chance qualifying opportunity next summer. And guess what? The guys that you probably have participating right now, there's no guarantee that they're going to even be there next year, because it always seems like a revolving door with these players. Just seeing a commitment, a consistent commitment, and not guys showing up when it's only convenient to them, is the big, big deal for me. That's what I need to change. Yep. We need to see change. That's it, and that's what you need to see. Uh, you're starting to see it from the more marquee guys of this generation. Obviously, SGA, he's there. Jamal Murray tried-ish <laughs> to make a commitment this year, so half buy-in, a good good job well, on him. Again, like, Nikhil Alexander. Yes, like, there's there a lot of guys. guys. Yes. There are guys that have, that have done it, and it is... But I think this is the imp other important point to make, is that... We talk about competitive cycles all the time with teams, and normally that's a, a team in a professional league. If Canada misses the Olympics this time, like 
SGA is not going to be old and destitute, but he is not going to be the spring chicken he was. Jamal Murray, it's going to be a lot more miles on yep. that body by the time the 28 Olympics Definitely. roll around. We see this in soccer. You would know this well. Golden generations come around once in a while. Only certain countries follow it up with another one mm-hmm. off the back of that one and off the back. And I'm not saying Canada basketball can't do it. They continue to pump out great prospects all the time. But you cannot presume that you'll just have this breath of NBA talent forever. And not just the numbers, but the high, high-end guys that you have. And you have to take advantage of it. Behind the United States, Canada has the second most players in the NBA. The top league in the world. They have the second most players. You need to validate that, that growth that you've seen. Have to. You have to validate it by having results in this tournament. Yep, and they have a champion in Jamal Murray. He's not going to be there, but SGA is. They got a ton of First other great team talent. All NBA. Cannot wait for it. Friday, 9.30 against France. Catch it on Sportsnet. Catch J.D. Bunkus coming up next. This has been the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet. 5.9 of the Fan.